Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 through chapter 7, verse 4. When you get there, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, let's, let's get in the Bible. Verse 15 of chapter 6 of Nehemiah. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elal. In the 20, and I'm sorry, in, the 50, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Mm. And they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of the Lord. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. Why? Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jehoiannan had taken the daughter of Meshulam and the son of Berechiah as his wife. Also, they spoke of, the good, of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah the governor of the castle charged over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing, God, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their God post and some in front of their homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. I, wanna, I want us to talk from a subject uh, today, a brief, brief subject, reflections on rebuilding. Reflections on rebuilding. You may be seated. Um, um, today, we've, we've come to a crossroads in our study of Nehemiah. We've been in a series talking about rebuilt to build. Rebuilt to build. And in talking about this, we've been talking about that God has called the people of God of all times. God has called the people of God of all times to be on a mission for him. How many of you don't understand what it means to be on God's mission? How many of you don't understand that? Anybody? It's okay. Well, I'm going to explain it anyway because you probably didn't raise your hand because, you know, I know how it happens. But you, you know what I'm saying? Being on God's mission means that you're a part of a larger grand scheme of what God wants to do to glorify himself on earth. In other words, where you are and where your existence is beyond your existence is locked and loaded into the larger existence of the living God. Somebody should say amen to that. That's an exciting, exciting thing that no matter what happens in my life and no matter what's going on, I am locked into a larger if redemptive plan, if you will, where God is transforming and changing the world. And in some way, shape or form, I am in connection with that, but not merely for my own benefit, but for the benefit of the Lord God. And so we've come to this point in this book where I want to take some time to reflect on what we've studied so far, some of the results and some of the, some of the reflections that Nehemiah is writing down. This is, a, a, this is a journal of Nehemiah's experiences in serving the Lord. And the Holy Spirit superintend, 
superintended, meaning he gave oversight to his journal to make it the word of God. And so now his journal got torn out of his journal and placed into the eternal biblical record called the word of God. You'll sense the personal nature of the writing. I like the way the Holy Spirit superintends or gives oversight to the writing of Scripture because he doesn't remove the personalities of the authors out of it. What he does is he expresses his divine intent utilizing the voice of the ones who wrote that. Somebody should say amen to that. And, and, and God does that in all of our lives. But, 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 but here in this section, he begins reflecting on what's... Every now and then, you got to take an inventory of what is God doing and what do I need to learn? How many of you enter a phase of life like that? What, what is God up to? Somebody say, what is God up to? And what do I need to learn? Every now and then you need to pause, right? And you need to sit down somewhere and shut your mouth, amen, and, 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 and begin to get in the scriptures and allow God to, I guess, just kind of say, God, well, what are you doing? What, what should I be learning in this phase of life? As, and all you're getting, the Bible says, get understanding. I love that. That's a great verse, right? And so as we begin to reflect, the first thing, the, the first reflection that I kind of came to in this passage is uh, in relation to reflections on rebuilding. First thing is completing stuff is the will of God. I, I, I'm going to say that again. <laughs> I feel help in my spirit right now. Uh, I'm completing stuff is the will of God. We should say that together. Yeah, yeah. Say completing stuff. Is the will of God. Look in verse 15 if you think I'm not in the Bible. So the wall was finished. I like that. Now, it's not that it was just finished, family, but, but look at the rest of the verse. On the 25th day of the month, Elul, in, the 50, in 52 days, that's bananas, they finished rebuilding the walls of an entire city in 52 days. No, no, think about that. Like, 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 really? They finished building a wall in 52, that, it usually took two and a half to five years in their time period to rebuild a wall like that. But, but you know what's beautiful about this story is when God's hand is on you. <laughs> when God's hand is on something, he'll exceed your expectations and timeline if you're doing it for him. Wish I had some help right there. Well, when, when, when the Bible says he'll do exceedingly abundantly above you ask or think. Not could, but what you actually ask. Did, did you hear that? And so, and so, and so in reality is, is that here in this passage, they finished what God had called them to do. And, and, and when they find, see, see, many of us, let me give an application here. I feel it. Um, many of you guys have started stuff that God told you to do, but you haven't finished it. And the longer you're waiting, if some of you got a little bit of something to finish to finish what God told you to finish. I, I wish I had help in the audience right now. And, 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 and guess what? It's a little bit, but that little bit seems like a load. Why? Because the longer you take to finish what God has called you to do, the more weighty it's going to be. But when you put your hand to the plow to do what God called you to finish, somehow he melts away the weights. 
And so, and so as massive as the project of rebuilding of Jerusalem was, as huge as that was, what we see here is God meeting them within it and them being able to, com- to finish and complete this. And, and, and what's interesting about that is I, I love some of the last words of Jesus. The last words of Jesus on the cross was to Telestai, it is finished. That that, that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful statement because to Telestai, it being finished means I've completed the mission that God has given me to do. And I want to be able to say, Paul even says it, he says in in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I've finished my race. I've ran my course. There should be moments and times in your life where you sense from the Spirit of God that you've completed something. There should be times in your life, not for you to feel good about yourself, but for you to honor and glorify the living God because he graced you to finish what you started. I don't know if I have any unfinished business people in the room today, but all I'm trying to ask you is a question. Are you submitting to God to finish what he's called you to start? What in your life is unfinished that you're afraid to re-engage? God wants us to be a community of finishers and people who don't just start a bunch of projects. You know, I used to watch, I love the Cosby show, you know what I'm saying? And on Cosby show, you know, they used to get frustrated with Bill Cosby. Oh, Heathcliff Huxtable, that's a crazy name to me. Because he would, he would get all of these projects going. He'd start plumbing. He's, that was my dad. He'd start a plumbing project. The ceiling breakdown, he started the ceiling project. You know what I'm saying? Um, everything would be breaking up around the house, and he would start a bunch of projects, and the house would just be a mess. And it'd be like, yo, finish this up because it's, like, disturbing to have all of these unfinished projects. Matter of fact, the house is so unfinished that it almost felt like it was a condemned house, right? See, see, see many of our lives are like that, though. Many of the unfinished things that God has called you to do, it almost looked like you're living a condemned existence. Why? Because, you're, you're, because, there is, because God wants to complete a bunch of things in your life. Why? Not because it's merely for you, but it honors and glorifies him, and it connects into the grand scheme of his theology of completion. Say completion. So that's a very, very important principle that we need to fall in line with. With So completing stuff is the will of God. Reflection number two, completing stuff doesn't end opposition. Completing stuff doesn't end opposition. He says, our enemies heard of it, what, that the wall was rebuilt in 52 days. He said, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their esteem. This, this, is, this is interesting. Now, 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 it's interesting that that the people of God finish the work of God, but, but, but I, I began realizing that when God does a work of completion in our life for his glory, it doesn't make everybody happy. See, see, see because you got you to gotta look at the ID card of the cats in this text that, 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 that's, that, that's dealing with this reality. It says the nations around us. Well, you remember the nations around them were all of the people that were trying to get at them. In other words, these were the critics. Um, these were the people that hated, or, or, or hated the fact that they were getting to work because it was going to benefit others. It was going to benefit the glory of God. But what, what made them so mad about this? Well, uh, the, first, the first idea of this is rebuilding the wall gave them protection from vulnerability. Rebuilding the wall 
give, gave them protection from vulnerability. When a city was protected from vulnerability, that means that they were freed up to do things within the city, but it meant that attacks weren't that easy. If you look at Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia or all the movies, you know what I'm saying? I love them joints, by the way. Um, you know, uh, 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 all of those movies where, where they have like legions of cats just attacking, just some manly, good old-fashioned movie watching, right? But one of the things that you see is they start attacking the walls first. Why? Because if you peel down the walls and you break open the doors, their defenses are down and you can run in and tear them up on the inside. See, see what God did for us in Christ is through the cross, he has put a protective barrier around us. And when he's put that protective barrier around us, he's given us the ability to be developed from the inside. But what they wanted to do is they wanted the people of God to remain vulnerable so that they could go into their lives and excavate everything that they wanted to use it for their benefit versus God's benefit. But I know that don't happen to none of us, so we'll go to the next issue. Strengthen to safely build. Also, when you rebuild the walls, you're strengthened to safely build. When you talk about being strengthened to safely build, now you're freed up to work on the inner parts of the city to see the rebuilding of the city. But then it takes away an, embar- uh, it, it takes away an embarrassing persona. When the walls were rebuilt, if you remember back in, back in a, a, few, a few chapters ago when we were talking about the walls of Jerusalem and connecting it to Deuteronomy, is whenever the people of God's city was destroyed, it was them being a taunt and a frustration and them having a bad persona to the nations around them. But what's, what's beautiful about God's work among his people, or God's work among his people, is, is he strengthens us and gives us the ability to take away uh, our embarrassment and to rebuild dignity in our lives. Many of us need our dignity rebuilt. Living in a city like this where a bunch of challenges are, there's been a lot of rape, if you will, of dignity. So what the Lord does through Jesus Christ is he restores dignity to the lives of those who have none. I don't know what your situation is, and I don't know what challenge you've gone through or are going through, but God, through his grace, rebuilds the dignity of people. But not only that, he gives them the ability to enjoy God and enjoy his people and his blessings in peace. It's beautiful because now that the wall has been rebuilt, this helps with this reality. And so what he begins to do, as he's talked about here, the enemies have heard of it and all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their esteem. One of the things we see here is a principle that David loved to act out and live out, and it's in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is a beautiful passage that helps us to glean some applicational principles of when we're dealing with opposition, how, to resp- how God calls us to respond. Now, check this out. Now, now, now completing stuff doesn't, again, doesn't end opposition. He, it says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. They ain't talking about weed there, all right? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do it, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. Be still. Somebody say be still. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's sweet scriptures right there. He's fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. He, he, while you're going through difficult things, you, you, you can't be jealous of who is not following God and the good results they seem to be getting. And so so David, David started preaching to himself under the unction of the Holy Spirit. I believe he started hooping right here. He said, he said do not fret because of evildoers. I believe he started dancing a little bit too. He started going to dance. As he was right, he wrote a scripture. He backed up on that thing and got real excited. Why? Because fret means not to be aroused by the anger of people that are prospering, that are not doing God's will. Have a strong feeling of displeasure. He said, forget it. Don't even put your mind on them. It's being in a state of worry or anxiety. In other words, anxiety is taking on a mantle God hasn't called you to take on. Help me, God. You know, and so, and so, and so, but he says, be not envious also. He said, don't envy them. Envy means jealousy. Jealousy meaning, jealousy means this, wanting to enjoy the blessings of someone else that God didn't give you. If there's a blessing in the first place. But then he, then he, then he, but then he says the key word. He says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That's a beautiful term because dwell here means to settle yourself down. It means live among, inhabit, abide, if you will. Stay, remain, camp. To live or reside in a place, usually for a relatively long amount of time. I like that. Some about consistency, talking about dwelling. But I like the ultimate dweller. It's in Jesus Christ. It says in, first, it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the ultimate one who's, sk- who's the most skilled at dwelling and befriending faithfulness uh, is Jesus Christ. But I like that term, befriend faithfulness. Because that word befriend faithfulness, that word befriend means uh, 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 to shepherd, to nurture, to feed it. You, you, you have to learn, if you're going to recognize that, 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 listen, victories and finishing stuff doesn't end controversy, doesn't end challenges, and doesn't end frustrations. How do I know that? Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he said it is finished, and it, did, and it was finished in relation to pleasing the wrath of God and setting in motion the redemptive of all things. But until his second advent, which we'll talk about at the end, hell is going to consistently break loose. And so because of that, it's not that hell doesn't break loose. It's that we have help in the midst of the hell. And so, and so now we see that, that, that this idea of dwelling is a very, very important thing. And it helps your prayer life, David says. He, he, says, he, says, he, he says something beautiful in this section of the verse because he says, trust in the Lord and dwell in the man and befriend faithfulness. But he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what I like about that? When you delight yourself in the Lord, he changes you as you delight yourself in him. Then when you pray and talk to God, you're praying back to God stuff he already authorized to do because you're praying to him his will and not your own will. So delighting yourself in the Lord and him giving you the desires of your heart aren't your fleshly passions, aren't your personal preferences, but it's actually his biblical principles. I wish I had some help right there. See, when you spend time with God, 
See, you, got, you can't wait until stuff is not happening to get with him. You got to have, if you remember the trek of Nehemiah, he said, strengthen my hands. He said, and I began to pray to the Lord. In other words, he, he prayed, he kept an open dialogue with the Lord in the midst of the opposition. Why? Because he knew where his help came from. But I know I'm alone, and I know nobody in here don't go through nothing, and you don't need no help from God. But if, if I can admit it, I need God's help. Matter of fact, I need an open heaven, and I need to talk to the king of kings, and I need to talk to the Lord. Matter of fact, I know that many times I got some raggedy ways of thinking and some raggedy ways of doing things. And so what I need God to do is I need to get in his presence and start talking to him and let them know how frustrated I am. But the longer I'm talking to him and the longer that frustration happens, sometimes he begins to penetrate my time with him. And I begin to say, God, you know, I'm tripping, right? You know, I know I was cussing and fussing just now. God, forgive me for my words. Forgive me for my wildness. But now you're changing me up, and now... Now my attitude is changing, and now I actually want to pray differently. Why? Because God changes you. I know y'all said the pastor cursing. I, I say all kinds of crazy things to God to help me because if I don't have his help, if I don't talk to him about it, I'm going to say it to y'all. So, so what I got to do is, 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 is I got to get in his presence, and I got to get me some help, and then all of a sudden my desires begin to change. My passions begin to change. Then I turn around, I said, Dad, God, I can't believe I'm praying this. I'm about to say something crazy. But, Lord, help the person that's cussing me out. I said, Dang, where did that come from? Hey, God. Look, because I, I, at first I thought of God, kill everybody that's opposing me. Take them out. Send them to hell forever. Lord God, help them to burn in a transparent fire of hell. Give, I mean, God, put them in the loneliest part of hell with no people. Put them in hell with no... And all of a sudden, I say, that's not... Then the Holy Spirit like, that ain't right. And then my prayers change. But, not, but know why your prayers change? Because God changed you. And see, that's how you act in the midst of opposition. You don't, you don't let the opposition get the best of you. And that's what I like about Nehemiah's reflections here. He has some beautiful reflections. In this place. But, and, and man, he says, commit, I'm going to stay on this last one. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Say, say that one more time, baby. Say that louder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're preaching for me now, girl. L- listen, listen, some of y'all... Fight for yourself. Let, let me say that again. Too many of y'all fight for yourself. And, and some of y'all need to learn how to shut up. Let me say that again. I, I know I said a bad word. Shut up. Some of us, our problem is we want to fight because y'all scrappy in the spirit. Amen. Y- y'all scrappy do in, in, like a mug, you know what I'm saying? Y'all don't even know nothing about that. But, but, but some of y'all real scrappy. You know, and, and, and you got to give somebody a piece of your mind. I can see some of y'all right now in your soul going like this. You know what I'm saying? The girl's going like this, and dude's like, shoot, come up on me. You know what I'm saying? Clock, clock. I'm knocking them out, right? But, but know, 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 know who can fight better than you? The Lord. Yeah. Nehemiah let God fight. Everybody was coming at him. He said, ugh. You're going to feel like that, right? If you scrap, I'm scrappy, so I'm going to punch somebody in their face, Right? <laughs> I'm just being honest where I am spiritually. I need some growth. The man of God is not to be pugnacious, so I'm in process. Amen. So, so I'll give you the quick example, then I'm going to get back to it. I, a flash mob came up in the movie theater on Broad Street while I was in there. Now, I'm sitting there like, ain't nobody with me. My wife told me, go to the movies. I balled up my fist like this. I said, one of them youngest come over here. I'm just hitting 
I'm breaking jaws, dislocating eyeballs, optic nerves. I was going pop, 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 dropping bammers. You know what I'm saying? Just dropping. Then I, then I said, hallelujah, God, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. <laughs> Listen, too many of us fight our own battle. And I just pray. Instead of fighting, I prayed. I said, God, just remove him so I won't have to punch him. Then the Holy Spirit just whizzed him right out. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I, I listen, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just trying to let you know that the, God is a better fighter than you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so, and so if you will get out of the way and let him repay, he'll pave the way. Wish I had some help right there. And so I need God every now and then to calm your boy down. And I like the way Nehemiah did that. He did not fight his own battle. And we have to learn how to not fight our battle. Now, look what God does when he didn't fight his own battle. Look at the text, right? Look in the end of verse, it said, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. That's crazy. Now, you got to understand, earlier they were trying to make them afraid. Earlier they were trying to make them fearful. But God has a way when you get out of the way and let him get in the way, he turns back on people what they were trying to do to you. Oh, it's in the text. He says, great fear fell upon them. But then, but then what's beautiful about the Lord is he not only turns it against them, he also shows you where their heart is. Because it says in the text, he said, and they fell greatly in their esteem. Now, that's interesting. Because the word fall, first off, is an interesting Hebrew word. It means to have an object go from a higher position to a lower position means often with the implication of being out of control of a situation they wanted to control. So many people want to control you. And what God will do when you let him fight for you, he will rem- he's sovereign. That means, like grandmama said, he's God all by himself and he don't need nobody else, right? So, so what, that, what, that, what that means, see, mama, grandmama understood theology. God is in control of everything seen and unseen. She, she didn't need a seminary to tell her that. She didn't need a lexicon to tell her that. She just lived life and trusted God. And so what happened is, is, is she began to get her theology of knowing his word and his ways. And so, but it says in esteem. Now, esteem is an interesting Hebrew word. This word is crazy. It means I. I was like, I? Like, Really? But, 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 but listen to the nuancial nature of this that's going to be potent for our understanding of what God is saying through Nehemiah to us here. Uh, more than the eye itself is implied in the word, occasionally it represents the whole process of seeing or by extension of understanding and obedience. Check it out. The eye is a good barometer of the inner thoughts of man. The eyes are the mirror of man's inner being. The phrase in your eyes is equivalent with personal opinion or judgment, i.e. meaning main connected, mainly connected in some way to worldview by how they viewed themselves. Now, check this out. This is me. Now, they seemed to have gotten much of their self-worth from the downfall of the people of God and others. Ain't that something? They got their self-worth out of tearing somebody else down. In other words, their value is being critical. I know you ain't got nobody like that in your life. Their value is in, not, is in people being torn down. In other words, they ain't got nothing else to do. 
They ain't got nothing to do. So all they do is they spend their time on a whole bunch of mess to tear others down. And as they tear people down, they feel better about themselves. But what's beautiful about it is God exposes where their hearts are. And it also gives us a lesson, too. We better be careful of what we esteem. We better be careful. You better be careful of what you put your stock in. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And because of that, that that's, that's important for us to understand why. Because we need to make sure that our faith and our commitment and our passion is in Christ and Christ alone. And th- this, this, this will help us to grow. This will help us to develop. But it says, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. That's a beautiful thing. When God is with you, it is noticeable. When God is at work in you, even those who oppose you have to admit it. <laughs> now, just because people see God at work in you don't mean they're going to stop wilding out. They're not. Now, look at the text. It says in verse 17, Moreover, those in those days, the nobles of Judah, those were the people that didn't want to do no work in the first place based on chapter 3. Right? Those were the ones that were sitting around eating popcorn and caviar while the people of God was working on the wall. So he says, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. So they sent some emails to the enemies of God. They sent these emails there to let them know, hey, man, they're getting work done to the glory of God. And Tobiah's letters came to them. And so Tobiah trying to get something. Why were they doing this? For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. In other words, what is, what is it saying here? It's basically saying that they had something to personally benefit from, and they were more concerned about the personal benefit of their personal kingdom than God's kingdom. I know it's not like that in our lives. And his son, uh, Johanan, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. So they were all intermingled in relationships covenantally with one another to make bound promises beyond just the marriage, but in how they're going to do things to benefit themselves and not God's kingdom. Now check this out. He says, also, they spoke of his good words in my presence. So people came to him and said, you know, Tobiah, all right, man. Don't be tripping on Tobiah, man. He a good dude, man. I know he was tripping a little. And so they, they, they trying to talk to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, I like, I like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a dude's dude, all right? He wasn't no punk cat. You know what I'm saying? He said, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence. And he says, and, I report, and they reported my words to them. I told them something about them in the, in, back, back at him. He's like, back at you, dog. You know what I'm saying? In other words, he couldn't even be bothered. Why? Because money was tripping so much that he knew that he couldn't trust in a moment. See, some of us may quit decisions on big decisions. Nehemiah wasn't quick to respond to people's pressure in his life to make a big decision really, really fast. To let Tobiah into Jerusalem could have been monstrositous to the mission of God. And so what he did was he backed up from it and said, I'm going to just wait it out. Sometimes you need to wait out. Let me me give you an example. You know, me and my wife, you know, me and my wife, we go to places and and somebody will give us, say, we got 80% off just today, just for y'all too. 80% off. And my wife will put me and say, baby, I, I mean, I think we need this in our life. You know what I'm saying? I'd be like, babe, but she's at 80. And it, it's like a car. You know what I'm saying, right? Right? <laughs> I'm just teasing you, baby. Don't get me afterwards. Um, 
And so it's something big, and, and, we'll be, and somebody will be pressuring us and pressuring us. And then as I begin to talk to her, she's like, listen, I'm falling on my head. Boom. Then they be trying to still press us. Y'all need to, y'all need to, y'all need to. And they always try to go through the woman, you know what I'm saying, to get you. And, and, and what they try to do is make you make a major decision with very little time. And sometimes God wants you to wait it out. When we get out of the sobriety of the moment, we're like, dang, we's about to buy that. I can't believe he's going to do that. Dang. You know, and, and, then, and then, oh, we've done it. And like, dang, I can't believe we bought this, right? But what's beautiful about this is Nehemiah doesn't make a quick decision. Many times in your life, you need to stop making quick decisions on big decisions. And you need to let some stuff ride out for a while so that you can see the season of that thing and what it really is. Why? Look at the last part of this verse. It says, and Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. Now, hold on, dog. You were just trying to talk to me and spend time with me, chill with me, and get in the building. But now, you put, you put me on blokey eye. Blast, right? So, okay. you Boom. Just see, that's what I'm talking about. So, Nehemiah's a dude's dude. He says, see why I was chilling? See why I didn't do nothing? See why I ain't make no quick decision? See how he talking to me? You know, that's what Nehemiah probably went to him and told the nobles to shut it down. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, and I like that. Because he had the tenacity to make godly decisions in the midst of pressure. Don't ever let nobody pressure you out of the blessings of God. Don't never let anybody pressure you into being distracted in your calling. Because most of the time, they get a blessing in their souls by distracting you from what God has called you in your soul to do. Let me say that again. You better, you better, you better learn how to stop, watch, and pray. That's what the old church used to say. You need to stop, you need to watch, and you need to pray. I'm going to say it one more time because you need to get out of your spirit. You need to stop, you need to watch, and you need to pray. Every now and then, you need to say, hold on. This, you, why do I feel pressure right now? Whenever you can't pray about something, you know you shouldn't decide on it. Listen, if somebody, let me pray about it. Well, pray about it. If they do that, don't do it. Because see, they say, pray, pray about it. I mean, you can pray about it. I understand all that. But I'm like, see, you don't understand. That's why I need to go pray about it. Because you got an ulterior motive. Plaque out. I'm going into the closet. Get with Jesus. See what Jesus say. Then I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to tell you what I'm not or going to do. But it's going to be on my terms based on my time that I spent with God. Amen, somebody. You better learn how to do that. You better learn how to do that. And it's a part of being a Christian. I'm going to close it. I'm going to get out of the way. I know y'all want me to sit down, but I got 11 minutes and three seconds. <laughs> but it's, it's important for you to learn this and this be a part of the nature of your life and your existence to make prayerful decisions. Look at somebody. I'm going to do it today. Look at somebody and tell them, make prayerful decisions. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always wanted to do that. <laughs> Third point. Third point, third point, then I'm out of your way. This is, this, is, this, is, this is like some, and these are just reflections, right? They're not disconnected, but they're just reflections, right? This last point, <clears throat> acknowledge those in your life who have endured through opposition and labor. Let, let me say that again. Acknowledge those in your life who have endured with you through opposition and labor. Look, look, keep, look, at, look, at, look at chapter 7, verse 1. It says, now when the wall had been built and I set up, the doors, this is crazy, and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Check this out. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. I like this. 
because he was able, listen, you need to do an inventory of your life and say, who in my life has been a blessing? See, Nehemiah said, when hell was breaking loose in my life, who hung in there with me? L- listen, who hung in there with me, but did not, not was a yes person to me, right? And we, don't, we don't need yes people in our life. We need some people that we can sti- still see the godliness in their objection of us. Why? He didn't call him a man that was faithful to me. He said he was faithful to God. And why? Because he was God-fearing. In other words, money stood in awe of the reality of God and was going to make decisions based on the heart of God, not the heart of man. You better have some people like that around you. And you better give them close place in your life. See, some of y'all want buddies. I want faithful and God-fearing people. See, so, see you, don't, you don't just need a buddy. See, but, but I like the way David said it in Psalm 119, 63. He says, my heroes are those. My companions are those who call upon the name of the Lord. My, my companions are those who keep your law. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy 2.22 says, uh, 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 flee immorality. And, and, and I like the way the New Living translated it. It says, and enjoy the fellowship with those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Do you have some people in your life like that? Do you have, oh, you got a bunch of jokers. You got to get joker ministries out your life. <laughs> joker ministry, you don't need no jokers. Boys and girls, get the joke. Jo- say, that's joke. When next time you somebody get at you, say, that's joker ministries right there. Right there. That's you need to be able to say. You need to be able to, because game, uh, game need to know game, right? And now, now, we, we on eternal game, not earthly game, right? So if we on earth, eternal game, I want people in my life that's going to jam me up, but it's out of a faithfulness to God. I want people in my life that's going to encourage me, but it's out of a faithfulness to God, not merely loyalty to me. Because if you're loyal to God, I ain't got to worry about your loyalty to me. Why? Because you're going to look out for God's interest, what will automatically look out for the interests of others. So who in your life today you got that's faithful like that? Who in your life? But I'm glad that even if you don't have one, Proverbs said, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I like the fact that they left the antecedent out of there because he was yet to come. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This friend that sticks closer than a brother uh, uh, helped landscape eternity and time. This friend that's, I wish I could preach, is, that's closer than a brother, uh, um, 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 he, he left the landscape of time and eternity. As a matter of fact, this, this friend that's closer than a brother was slain before the foundations of the earth. This friend who's better than a brother uh, 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 spoke into nothing and something had to obey. That, that's, that's the friend that's closer than a brother. Uh, the, the, the friend that's closer than the brother called land into existence and water said, move out of the way. Something's coming up out of the ground. This friend that sticks closer than a brother, when Adam sinned, he went down into the Garden of Eden, walking through the Garden of Eden and said, Adam, where are you? But even after Adam sinned, he clothed him in, 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 in animal skins, pointing to the point that there was going to be one who would come later. But this friend that sticks closer than the brother was the Lord of the captain's army in Joshua. This, sin, this man, that sti- this, man that, this one that that sticks closer than the brother was the burning bush of Moses. This one that sticks closer than the brother, uh, uh, he was David's son. I wish I had some help right there. The one that sticks closer than the brother uh, uh, was Ezekiel's will within a will. Uh, um, um, This one that sticks closer than the brother was Isaiah's exalted one whose robe filled the temple. And he said, holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God who was and who is and who is to come. If I had some help, I'd preach for a little longer. But, but, but this friend that sticks closer than a brother left his landscape of heaven. And when he left his landscape of heaven, he tucked all of his glory in the seed of a woman. That's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This friend that sticks closer than a brother uh, suffered himself in the elements of humanity by living 33 years, living the life that I could never live. This friend, I wish I had some help, that sticks closer than a brother uh, got, got ripped off for my benefit. This, this one that sticks closer than a brother uh, got nailed to a cross. That's my friend right there. That's my buddy right there. That's my best friend right there. But this friend that sticks closer than a brother was hung high and they stretched him wide and he suffocated for my namesake. As a matter of fact, he's such a good friend because I crucified him. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He's a friend. I wish I had some help that sticks closer than a brother. This friend that sticks closer than a brother allowed himself to die and was put and buried in a grave. This friend that sticks closer than a brother, on the third day, he got up from the grave for me. This friend that sticks closer than a brother, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding on my behalf. This friend that sticks closer than a brother, he's coming back and he's coming back to get me. Why? Because he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you don't know by now who this friend is, if you're wondering who this friend is, his name is Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the friend that's a way out of no way. He is the friend that's your Rosa Sharon. He is the friend that's a way maker. He is the friend that's a healer. He is the, he's the friend that's the best friend of all times. He's a good friend. He's a blessed friend. He's an enjoyable friend, and he's my best friend. And as, and as my friend, <laughs> he's coming back to get us. He's coming back to get us. He's the best friend of those who have trusted in him for salvation. If you're here today, it's all right to bless his name. 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 If you don't know Christ, the, the, this, the reason why you get excited about this friend, because when you experience his friendship, when you experience his friendship and his loving kindness in your life, because he's not just a friend, but he's the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords, you're saying to yourself, I can't believe that the King of kings and Lord of lords says, I no longer call you servants, but I now call you friends. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not going to just ask for his autograph. I want to sit at his feet. <laughs> and I want him above all else. 